Dear listener, we are sorry that due to a technical problem, we can only provide you with the second half of today's sermon. However, it is still absolutely worth diving into it. Thank you for your understanding. Look back at a few weeks, a few months, maybe a year, we should see that transition and changing that God does in us. But also, what else can we practically do to help ourselves to be like this, a, a godly temple, a godly person? Because see, this he's writing to us as individuals and as a group. Well, at the end of Ephesians chapter 6, he writes about us putting on the armor of God. Starting with verse 10, he says, we need to realize that we also are in a spiritual battle. This is not a neutral world, spiritual world in which we live. There are those that are struggling and against us in evil and all of that which comes against us. But he says, recognize that. But then he says, to defend ourselves against that, to stand and to continue in our faith, he says, put on the full armor of God. For when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and when you have done everything to stand, and then stand firm again and again, that we would not be moved, we would stand, we'd be firm. You see, standing shows us not just the position we are in, Remember Psalm 1 that was read to us? The righteousness, righteous man, person, does not walk, does not stand, does not sit. And at first I always thought that was only about our position. But then what it says, he does not, or she does not, walk with, and then describes a certain, certain type. Does not stand with a certain type. Does not sit with a certain type. And we can tell how we are doing in this process of God changing us and working in us by those with whom we walk. Now that, I'm not saying people that we're reaching out, our family or friends, but I'm talking about the people who we would tend to flow in life with, are they godly? Are they building into our lives? Those we stand with, we take the same stance and position. Those we sit with. And so here he comes and says, now in this I want you to be able to stand, but here of course you're standing with God. And God's armament. Look what he says. Put on the belt of truth. That's what upholds everything. In that day and age, that belt was strapped around, not just to hold up a pair of trousers, but rather to support everything. Truth. And then he goes on further and he says, put on the breastplate of righteousness. That breastplate protects our heart. What protects our heart? The righteousness of Christ. When these things come, and then he says, put your, have your sheet, feet and shoes that are firm. And basically, he's asking us to wear a pair of spikes that we would not be pushed around. 
And then take the shield of faith. Can you imagine that? Of faith, where when evil or there's a temptation or something comes, where he goes, boom, and it hits the shield rather than our mind or our heart. We need to be able to use that. And then he says, put on the helmet of salvation, protect our mind, that we know that God has worked within us. And then, of course, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Remember when Jesus, our Lord, was tempted? And he said, if you're the Son of God, turn these stones into bread. You would have thought the Son of God would have just said, no. But rather what he did is what you and I can do. He quoted, man does not live by bread alone. But by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. And then each time he's tempted, this very same thing that Paul is describing to us, we find that he does. May I just ask you the question this morning, morning and evening, worship groups. Do we daily build ourselves into a temple, a godly temple for God, by putting on God's armor? And then he goes on and he says that you are being built together not just for, to be a temple, but a dwelling place in which God lives by his spirit. And we talked about the spirit of God coming when we move from not knowing Christ to being part of God's household. But also in John 16, 8, God, Jesus describing the coming of God's spirit to his disciples and says, and when the spirit comes, he will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment, of sin because they do not believe in me, of righteousness because I go to the Father. In other words, he's finished with the work on the cross. Now we can have salvation and his righteousness can be counted to us and of judgment because evil has been defeated. So when the Spirit is in us, we need to expect that he will convict. He will talk to us about that which is not right. He will also show us the righteousness of Christ, of what God has done for us. And eventually he will show us again and again that God has defeated evil and God is our God. Now, what do we do with all of those things? Well, may I ask you, are you a building that God is joining together that's becoming a holy or godly temple? And are you being put together and are we as a church being built together as a dwelling place which God lives by his spirit? I think personally this is incredibly important for the future of IPC. Historically, if I understand correctly, I was not here, but there's been a few rough moments. And sometimes people say, we did it once, we did it twice, we'll probably do it again. But look at this. If we are being built together as living stones, and Christ is the capstone, and the foundation has been laid by God, and we are living stones alive because God is in us. Oh my, what potential. And as Paul is teaching this to the Ephesian church, he writes down again, which leads us into chapter 3, but right in the middle of chapter 3, almost spontaneously, he bursts into prayer. 
And listen to this second prayer in the book of Ephesians. For this reason I kneel before the Father, in from whom every family in heaven and on earth receives its name. And then listen. I pray, out of the glorious riches he may give you power through the Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That first thing he prays for is that this power of God. In chapter 1 he prays and he says, oh, might you experience the power of God in your life. And then he has nothing else to compare it to. And he says, it's the very same power that raised Christ from the dead. That's the God who's living in us. And he says, I want that and I pray that that power would be in your inner person to such a depth that Christ dwells in you by faith. And then he goes on and prays not just for the individual, but for the group. And as you are rooted and established in love, may have again power together with all of God's holy people And then look what he says, to grasp how wide, how long, how high, and how deep is the love of Christ, and to know the love that surpasses all knowledge, that you may be filled with the measure of the fullness of God. Look what he says, I pray that you as a body would have the power of God to grab hold of, to grasp, to experience, to take hold of this love of Christ that is wide, It is high, it is deep, it is long. How do you do that? We must experience him. And there have been moments in your life when you've been deep. And in that very moment, we find that God loves us and the power of the working of God is there. Or we've been high and all of a sudden, the love of God speaks to us in such a way it brings us deep to him or this so long that we seem like it goes on and on and yet there we find God he says oh as a body may you experience that power of God that you know it's high it's deep it's wide and it keeps us and then he goes on and says very simply that you might know that it surpasses knowledge and be filled with the measure of all the fullness of God. Can you imagine what that means? How full does God want to fill us with all of him? And so, he then closes his prayer by saying this, and now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is in work within, is at work within us. Recently we did a sermon series on old people from the Old Testament. It says here, may God through his power do things that are beyond what you can think or imagine or ask. Think about Abraham on his way up the mountain to offer his son. And the Hebrews tells us he must have believed that God would raise him from the dead. Can you imagine when the angel spoke as the knife was high and said, stop there. Oh, he saw something he couldn't even ask for. He couldn't imagine. 
or Daniel in the lion's den when the king comes and says, was your God able? Yes, he was able. Or his three friends when the king says, didn't we put one, three men in and I see four and one looks like the son of God? Our God is able to do beyond what we ask and what we imagine. May I ask you as IPC, what are you asking? What are you imagining? And then stop for a moment and say, what does God have for us? And that God wants to fill us with the fullness of God. I'm going to stop and pray. And I would just, if you don't mind, I would love for just in just this moment to read that prayer and ask God to do that among us. It says here, For this reason I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of the glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all of God's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who's able to do immeasurably be more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And Lord, would you make that prayer come true in each individual life that is seated here today and their families and friends who they represent as well as for us as a church of IPC together. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. We are going to celebrate the Lord's Supper, communion together. And as we do this, I'd just like to remind you of the significance of this. Because the scripture says, On the night that Jesus was betrayed, remember they were celebrating the Passover feast together, he and his disciples. It says he took the bread and he broke the bread. And then he says he gave them the bread to eat, saying, take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. And in a few hours, they would see him on the cross. And they would see him suffering and they would see all that was going on. But they really probably didn't totally realize what he was doing until afterwards. Realizing that God the Father was placing on him the guilt 
of every man and woman. And that he was receiving that guilt and paying the price, the wages of sin is death, that he could give us the gift of God, which is eternal life. So he says, take and eat. And then as they came to the end of the meal, the cup, which is called the cup of redemption, says he poured that out. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. At that moment, this new covenant, which has been foretold all the way through Passover for generations upon generations, started to function. He said, this is the new covenant in my blood, which the very next day, his blood would flow down the cross. So as we come today to celebrate this and to remember this, what he has done for us, remember that new covenant where God says, and I will put my laws in your mind, I will write them on your, your hearts, and every person will know me, you will not need to ask someone to teach because I will teach you. And then that final wonderful, and I will forgive your sins and remember your iniquities no more. What a tremendous covenant that he makes with us. And so today what we're going to do is take this. Now, Paul, as he continues writing in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he says to us, says, now, as you take this, may every person examine themselves. Don't take it unworthily. He doesn't say to stay away, but he says if something's a mess in life, stop for a moment and ask this great power of God to forgive, to cleanse, and to bring us back into relationship with him. So I'd ask you as we take of this, this today, that you take that moment, let God look inside, and as he does, worship, praise him, and then come and partake. The way we will do this this morning, sorry, today, is that we'll have two serving units here, two at the back there, and two upstairs. So um, el uh, ushers will come and help you come either this way, please come on the outside, and then come back to your seats in the middle. And as you come, please eat the bread, drink from the cup, and then go back. And if anyone needs gluten-free bread, we have that, but that'll only be here at the front, okay? So, I'm going to pray, and then those serving can come and help, and as soon as you're ready, then come and begin. Father, thank you again for this day and for this opportunity to be here with you. And Lord, even as a body of IPC together, we have this unique moment where we together, in this way, can celebrate and worship you. And Lord, we thank you that as we take this bread, as we drink from this cup. As your word says, we declare your death, that you have died in our place, that you're risen from the dead to prove to everyone looking on that God the Father has accepted that sacrifice in our place and that you're coming again to take us to be with you.
We worship you now in Jesus' name. Amen.